Here we go. Today is Sunday, July 15th, 2018, and this is episode 222 of the Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me today, as always, is Mr. Andrew Kellett. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you, sir? I am so good. It hurts. How are you? Wow. I'm doing pretty well. I wouldn't say that I'm causing myself pain, but I'm doing pretty well. Good. Good to hear. It's... uh... Monday's coming at me quick, though. That's yeah, I know. Um, I, and by the way, I, you, just to follow up from our, our, our last show, I don't think we've fully settled on how we're going to distribute the um, uh, the prizes yet. So that is a true statement. We, we will uh, uh, we we will get back to you shortly on that. Yeah. So for those who are curious, we do have a, a free training class that I won at a B-Sides Atlanta show. Uh, and we want to give that out to a worthy listener, though we were asking for ideas of how to give it away because we didn't have any. And, and honestly, didn't get too many that, you know, were just a few viable yet, you know. So we're hoping, hey, if you've got an idea of how to give away a good training, an InfoSec training class, uh, in the U.S., probably. Uh, apparently, there's some legal issues if we try to do this overseas. Uh, let us know. Yeah. We're, we're just trying to find a good, equitable, fair, nice way to do this so somebody gets a cool class and learns something and uh, advances their career. And I have uh, I have two DerbyCon tickets to give away, too. Wow. I know, right? That's Man, that, that makes my giveaway you know, pretty silly. Nah, nah. So how, how are we giving those away? Well, if we come up with, if we find some good, good ideas, right? But we'll do okay. the same thing. Yeah. That's fair. We'll be a package, right? But we'll use the, we'll use the same concept. Whatever we come up with. So fair enough. Anyhow, um, so let's uh, let's get on with the show here. So uh, just a reminder that the thoughts and opinions we express on this podcast are ours and do not represent those of our employers. Uh, also, a a big uh, continued thank you to our Patreon donors. And Absolutely. You guys are awesome. Sorry, my mute was stuck. Oh. Uh, you Patreon donors uh, continually amaze me. I am humbled by your support. Yes. Thank you. It, it, um, this show, by the way, takes an ex- what I'll describe as an extreme amount of bandwidth these days. So, Humble brag. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm sure it's probably just uh, scripts downloading over and over again. But uh, I mean, we could choose a better compression algorithm maybe maybe so yes i mean i know computers are tough but they are i'm just gonna start delivering them as zip files and you have to (laughs) decompress them on your on your phone all right um so getting into our stories the first first one comes from cso online and the title here is really long four reasons why cso's must think like developers to build cybersecurity platforms and stop investing in silver bullets so this is actually an opinion piece rather than a, a, a story, but I thought it was pretty, um, you know, pretty spot on if you, th- if you start thinking about where the IT industry is going, at least spot on from my perspective, at least, um, you know, in, in terms of automation and uh, microservices and whatnot. So I hadn't really seen a lot of discussion about this specific to the realm of security, so I thought it was a good good topic of conversation so what is it you think that you know as we get into the story what are the problems do you think this solves as we go through this story well i mean the, so he talks about the this the, the four the four specific problems that that he believes this solves i will tell you i um i think my view is it's kind of aligned with what he has but i think there's other things that this solves as well, like, um, you know, like scalability and uh, resiliency, the ability to return to service quickly, um, you know, 
kind of nimbleness, right? So the ability to deploy new security stuff uh, quickly. So, so in any event, let's let's run through the list and then we'll get back into sure. that discussion. Yeah. So, so, the, so again, he, uh, the author here points out four specific problems that need to be addressed, and and as he says, can be addressed by thinking more like developers. And the first one is that we're drowning in a cyber cyber security de- data deluge, and he points out that you know we have all of these different tools like antivirus and DLP and firewalls and vulnerability scans and operating system logs and on and on and on and on, and we really can't. There's just so much of it that we really can't do anything meaningful with it uh, on their own. And then he points out number two that there's this uh, data balkanization. So you know we he he points out that we keep buying um, silver bullet tools, and I think the actually politically correct word instead of silver bullet is best of breed. If Linky I'm, boxes. Yeah, if I'm not mistaken, it's best of breed. So so yeah, we're we're always implementing or constantly implementing these technologies, these blinky boxes to solve specific problems. And none of them talk to each other, and they all have their own reports, and you really can't, again, do much useful with those. Uh, and then, you know, moving on, he points out, and this is maybe to the point I was trying to make, we need to move from discrete security events to continuous security. And he points out that, you know, in the past, we would from a security perspective, kind of follow the waterfall method. You know, we would design some security environment, we would implement it, and then we would put it into monitor mode, and and that was the way it was. And akin to the way we're moving in, in IT operations and IT development, you know, it uh, it's more of a continuous development, continuous iteration cycle of... Um, of of managing your security. So rather than just, you know, deploying some particular tool, uh you you have a you, know, you have a continuous security cycle. And you know, he, he I have a lot of thoughts and questions on that one. So right. let's circle back after we finish. Yeah. Sure. Sure. He, he he uses the word security as code. And you know, if if you're if you're not familiar with some of the the you know DevOps and cloud-based concepts you'll be familiar with infrastructure as code, and I really think that security in 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 his and again I don't know what was in his mind as he wrote that, but to me it seems like this is just a an offshoot of the whole infrastructure as code paradigm, right? It's just infrastructure that's intended for security purposes, implemented as code, so. And then, uh, and then finally, uh, we have this reactive and passive posture, which is becoming increasingly untenable. You know, we 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 can't um, we we can't, especially in 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 the world of uh, things like GDPR and and the increasing uh, you know, regulatory oversight. We have to be more proactive, and um, you know, shut things down sooner. It's it's no longer palatable to be the you know to be the security guard responding to a um, you know a, a burglar alarm so so yeah that's th- th- those were his um, you know his the, the problems that he sees that we're trying to solve and now I think he's to be honest I think he's being a little myopic and in, in kind of hammering the the whole point about well everything needs to everything needs to be microservices based <laughs> And so what, I mean, that's a, a buzzword, but how would that function in the real world? I mean, what do we mean by microservices based? I mean, what would that look like? Well, I think that the, I think the point is that you, you, in an ideal world, and I don't think we're here yet. And I think it's a little naive to think that you can go to your, you know, antivirus company and your DLP provider and say, oh, I want you to, you know, I want you to expose APIs that I can call i mean maybe maybe they will someday but um i i I think that's so, a long way off so is the concept i can take 
you know, various different modules for my various different infosec tools and be able to interact with those discrete modules as opposed to the monolithic commercial off the shelf off the shelf entity that I'm typically used to interacting with. Correct. Correct. You're 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 combining these tools to do something that that I would say is kind of greater than the sum of parts by by being able to, you know, interconnect them in ways that are meaningful to you. So I, I know that that he goes into more sort of solutions of how to do this uh, in the article. We could certainly get into that as well. But as I'm reading this, the first part of this really reminds me of the the marketing value uh, or the value that was marketed of Sims back in the day uh, and still today of, you know, pull all your data into one uh, centralized system that can – analyze and combine and and show you correlation between and perhaps take action. Uh, we're seeing some automation tools out there that are trying to do this. But I, I still see a huge I don't I'm not disagreeing with his view. I'm, I'm I'm having trouble because I don't think our technology and our vendor community is anywhere near this. Uh, the only real, you know, integration or this sort of stuff that we typically see is perhaps with some industry leading sims from from a market cap standpoint and within their own infrastructure and, you know, ecosystem of a particular vendor. Uh, this seems like, I, I, I guess he's asking for us to go push our vendors to allow this to do more mm -hmm. or, you know, but one of our buying criteria might be, Hey, is this sort of low level integration, discrete API calls available? Uh, but how, I'm just struggling with this one because, you know, let's say that I want to go buy a best of breed firewall uh, that has the feature set I need for the actual root cause of whatever my use case is. But another firewall that doesn't do everything I need has this level of integration available. I think every different company has got a way that sort of trade off, uh, you, you know, and he mentions automation and he mentions automatically responding to threats and, and containing threats and, I get that, but at the same time, how do I trust my gear not to have false positives and take an action that blocks production traffic? And then how do I make sure that that capability doesn't become a new denial of service avenue for the bad guys to, <laughs> to go after, right? So yeah. I, I get it. Like We can throw a lot of buzzwords like machine learning and AI and automation, but I guess fundamentally, and I, it depends on the company you're with, I don't know that I trust that we're there or even close to that yet to be accurate enough and without a, without a human in the mix. So yeah, I don't and know. And I'm even with a human in the mix, it can be problematic. Right. Yeah. Um, well, so, so I, I think one of the, one of the struggles with this is I, I think there's a lot of different thing, different concepts being thrown into the same pot and mixed together. Right. So, um, I think there's there's at least three different con different concepts that that he's at least in my mind kind of conflating or or not doing a great job of separating at least maybe not conflating and, and that is you know we we have we have all this data coming in it's a huge amount of data and it's coming in in all kinds of different formats and so gee wouldn't it be great if we could have a standard format like JSON Right, and then we could do we could do cool things like using machine learning and artificial intelligence to parse that out because you know we have to get to a point where we can react and you know, we can detect and react much more quickly. And then, you know, the the thing that's going to be the enabler for reacting much more quickly is for the tools that are you know performing the enforcement again, to be accessible via microservices or, you know, some kind of API so that you can have your, your T1000 go and, um, you know, and I don't know, you know, terminate the employee when they see the DLP uh, sensor trigger for, for somebody sending the wrong kind of email. I mean, I guess that's, you know, that's one crazy possibility, but, mm -hmm. um, and then, and then, you know, the other is, which is, I think, a very different, uh, um, a very different concept is aligning the, you know, aligning kind of the um, 
the orchestration and the infrastructure of security to be more in line with where IT is going, you know, so kind of putting it into the into the the whole DevOps cycle, you know, where where we are again treating security as code. We're we're um, you know we're using we're leveraging tools like Chef and Puppet and Ansible and Vagrant and everything else that not only help set up security appliances, but also to make sure that the images you know that that are running our workloads are properly configured and have the tools that we want and blah blah blah. Yeah, I, I can see some of that. I, 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 you know, I've had other conversations on this topic lately about how we take information security engineering and move it into a more, for lack of a better term, agile model. And the tough part is that sometimes, you know, especially when we're dealing with commercial off-the-shelf technology, that initial engineering and initial architecture is not necessarily something you can easily chunk up into you know sprints or deliverables or whatever the, the appropriate terminology is because I'm not an agile expert you know there's a big monolithic chunk of work to get the initial core up and running and then perhaps you could take an incremental approach on feature set you know turn up and uh, go live next feature turn up go live next feature turn up and go live but I'm struggling with it I don't let me say this I don't disagree this is probably where we're going and this is where we need to be. I'm having a lot of trouble seeing how we get from where we are now to there with the way that I understand how to build and deploy tools and run tools. Uh, I, I get continuous improvement. I get continually tweaking and updating and, and, and um, assessing and tuning and all that jazz. I see that as a continual run rate where we don't want to just set and forget a tool. Uh, I completely agree with that. That's, But I'm having trouble on the initial build understanding how to actually leverage these tools uh, because they're not built for this. They're not, it, it seems like that framework makes a lot more sense for coding and a lot more sense for app dev work because I can do discrete chunks. I can't really do discrete chunks very well with commercial off the shelf technology. Yeah. And, and but, but maybe, I mean, in, in defense of the author, I think what they're, I think what he's saying is we're not going to get there if we don't start banging on our vendors and that's fair, right? Start asking for it. I get right. that. Um, I, I guess the question is, what if a CISO reads this and starts telling his guys, go deploy this way, and the tools don't do it today? Uh, Just make it agile, <laughs> right? <laughs> I, yeah. I, fair, I mean, that's a fair point. but um, I, I mean, I may be off topic to, to what we're talking about here, but... Um, no, it's. Uh, I I think that I think the net point is this is a, in my view, this is a this is a half. This article is sitting half in you know what we should be doing today, which I think is looking at how to inject security and in, you know and and adopt some of the principles. Um, you know, again, like leveraging Ansible and Chef and and you know integrating. Uh, security infrastructure into into cloud as it makes sense and and on and on which you know there's there's not a good reason we can't do that today and then there's the other half I think is more of a futuristic you know like here's where I think we should be trying to drive the industry to we're not capable of doing that today and I don't think if there's if there's a criticism for the article I don't think it, it, I think it's that there isn't a good delineation for, you know, here's, here's where I think we should you know, kind of couching it as this is forward looking stuff. Right. And, and yeah, no, that's, that's fair. And I don't, I guess my, my mindset right now is <laughs> execution, not necessarily yeah, yeah, yeah. bot leadership. Um, so enough. it's interesting, and, but I, I definitely see value. I just, I'm having trouble seeing how we cross that chasm, right. To quote a really, really old book. I understand. I understand. But you know what? Again, I think this is, we've talked about this in at length in the past. I, I really think mm -hmm. that as, as I, you know, it's at some level, right? In security, we're often part of IT. I mean, it's an offshoot of IT. And we've really got to understand, you know, directionally 
where the industry is going, why it's going there, how do we intercept it, how do we support it, how do we leverage it for our purposes. And so I think this is just another, um, I think this is, this is a, a, an attempt to kind of- Something to- yeah, something to watch and be aware of, and, right. and try to get in front of. Yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly. And, and by the way, you know, again, from a career standpoint, I think we're, we we're all better off if we understand this because, again, you know, like you don't want to be the guy or or girl or lady, you know, who's managing the data center, you know, and uh, um, not recognizing that everything's moving to the cloud and. Not, right. Next thing you know, you know you're out of a you're out of a job. You you know you you need to you need to stay stay up with the time. So yeah. anyway, mo- moving on to the next um, next story, which also comes from CSO, and the the title is "Stop Training Your Employees to Fall for Phishing Attacks." But Jerry, I train my employees to avoid phishing attacks. I know. So the um, the point of the article, I would sum sum it up like this we generally do a pretty good job of teaching our employees all of the, or many, of the indicators to look for um, to identify a fish. You know, things like, you know, appealing to authority and driving a sense of urgency and, you know, those kind of common sorts of things. But what, what the author here points out is, well, those are the very things that actually happen in the normal course of business. And so, you know, when, when, we, um, when we train our employees, we're, we're creating this kind of bit of confusion because we're saying on the one hand, you know, all that's, this is how you identify something that is, um, uh, you know, likely to be malicious but at the same time, is in, in the other, the author points out, you know, um, an you know an anecdote. Don't know if it's contrived or not, right? But an anecdote that you know they got an email it was super urgent and it asked for them to open up a, a spreadsheet or an attachment and whatnot, and so they assumed that it was malicious because it hit all of those indicators we drill into our people, and it was real. It was it was legitimate. It's almost like the bad guys are trying to figure out how to emulate things that we do in the real world. Co- correct, correct, and and so they, um, you know, they, the, the author here gives a couple of recommendations, and I actually have some problems with this, and then I'm, I have a couple of other other thoughts too. I, I actually think this is a really big, um, just fundamental problem that I don't think we have a great solution to. So so they, um, well, this is, I mean. The whole thing is this is a psychological manipulation, right? The whole point is I'm trying to get you to do something I want you to do based on what your job requirements are. Correct. Correct. So, <laughs> but I do think we shoot ourselves in the foot in it, but I'm not sure that we have a great a great out. So so some of the the recommendations by this this author here is to uh, to give your employees a forewarning of what's exp- uh, you know what's what emails to expect. So, so a bad guy can do the same. Correct, and we've actually talked and in about fact, some we've of the, seen that. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. we've talked about some of the scams where the you know the where where bad guy has you know prior to actually you know sending the payload has you know let the person know that oh you're you're going to receive a call or you're going to receive a an attachment and it's important that you open it. So, not sure that's a you know that that's a great. Um, idea. And, you know, they do point out that you should be sending emails from your own domain, and which makes good sense. But by the way, in the in the the new world where everything is a software as a service, you know, you you have you know outsourced HR, and your 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 CRM is outsourced, and you know everything is outsourced. It's becoming sure. less and less and less um, realistic to expect so, it. I see a lot of organizations auto tag an email that's coming from an outside domain. Right. Right. Like, uh, you know, they might put external or caution or whatever, either in the subject line, in the top of the body, whatever. This starts to become an issue exactly on the point. You know, if a half of my services are outsourced, even if they're spoofing uh, my potential 
source domain, most of them don't. Anyway, now they're getting caught up in this labeling uh, and confusing employees even more. <laughs> That's super helpful. Yeah. Uh, so, so then they, uh, they they point out that you should you know keep calm, right? So you know, basically drop the sense of urgency in in your emails. But you know, realistically, again, um, I don't see that as feasible. I mean, it, most things in business are an emergency and yeah they the author points out that we all you know we're, we're all responsible adults but we're all responsible adults that have too much to do and um people only respond to my emails when i make them high urgency right urgent 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 four times on the subject line <laughs> and then beg them on the internal chat system the action, that's the only way i get any responses action required in the subject right and, yep yep um and then, uh, you know, and then favor security conscious products. So, you know, you should be digitally signing your emails because that goes really well with employees. Hey, we should teach everybody to use PGP. How's that sound? <laughs> I think that's a great idea. Uh, keep your emails simple and use text formatting. Don't, don't use HTML. That's not going to happen. So, yeah, that's, I don't know if that person's ever dealt with a marketing department. Or not. Um, so so anyway, I, I I'm not sure those are great. I mean, I think they are actually not terrible suggestions. I just don't think they're very feasible in in the, the current working world. There were a couple of other things that I was, you know, aware of as big problems. So um, so one example that I'm aware of, <laughs> a particular organization had a had a pretty dramatic sense of accomplishment in terms of reducing their fishing, um, you know, their, their fish susceptible to fishing, susceptibility to fishing. So they had, they had hired a, you know, one of the fishing um, awareness companies to come in and, and do regular routine fishing assessments. And they did a baseline over a certain period of time. And then they did two things at the same time, which probably weren't the best idea. Um, they 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 deployed a an awareness training campaign on what to look for, and they implemented um, I think it was Proofpoint, some one of those um, you know fishing um, you know anti fishing technologies anti fishing technologies right and, yep. and it was one of the ones that I don't know if that was Proofpoint was one of the ones that rewrote the URL right so rather than when when you would hover over a link in an email, rather than actually seeing the link, you would see a rewritten link that would first bounce off the provider's uh, you know, system, so that it could, you know, eventually, if it was found to be malicious, it, you would have a chance to block it on subsequent attempts to visit it. But what did what ended up happening, or at least I, you know, the thing I pointed out was, is it. You know, because after a while, the the phishing attempts or the the the, um, the phishing tests were much less successful, right? You know, the the amount of phishing went dramatically down, or the, the amount of people clicking on these phishing tests went dramatically down. And my question was, and I didn't really ever get a good answer. My question was, is it because of the training, or is it because that if they hover over a link in the phishing test email, they actually see a link. And if they hover over the a link in any other email, they get this rewritten um, right. rewritten link. And so it becomes super obvious at that point which emails are from your phishing test provider. So, so, so they're being, basically being taught to the test. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so when you say, you know, rewritten emails, so for those who don't know, some of these technologies will take a look at any URLs in an inbound email and rewrite them to their uh, so basically their sandbox or their safe environment with the concept being that it'll proxy through or evaluate or keep you away from dangerous stuff. So yeah, if you get an email, you know, URL to cnn.com, it may look like um, picking a proof point, whatever proof points URL redirect domain is, you know, gobbledygook, 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 nothing like cnn.com. Uh, and then you know that that's a processed domain, whereas the phishing test might be whitelisted from that rewrite. 
Exactly. Uh, and exactly. so, so really, you're just teaching people to, you know, to find the tests. Exactly. And then, you know, th- th- there was a, I think it was a Twitter debate I saw a couple of, maybe a week or so ago. And it got me to thinking, and I don't have a good... Wait, I know, wait. I know, People I know. don't debate things on... What are you talking about? That's crazy, right? In <sighs> um, one of the points was, uh, just thinking about those phishing tests, the, the metric is when they click, right? But is that really the right metric to be judging? Is it, Or is it that you should be testing whether or not they'll they'll be tricked into entering their credentials or they'll be tricked into opening an attachment? Right. Um, so and and it, and the follow-on is: Are were your defenses capable of stopping whatever it was that that attachment or link uh, malware tried to do? If it wasn't just a credential harvest or whatever, right? Um, you know, there's multiple layers here. Now, certainly, we don't want people to click to begin with, but my personal opinion is you're never going to stop that entirely. So, what's your backstop to protect people from falling for a psychological attack? They're being targeted, right? They're victims of a psychological attack. How can we help them? Right. And, you know, that's how I look at, at phishing defense. So I, I'm not dogging on training. I just, I know too much about, uh, sorry, that sounded really arrogant, but I, I've just seen too much about how people react under stress and under different circumstances and, and you know, different times of the day. We're never going to get to a zero click rate on phishing ever, in my opinion. So we can't just rely simply on training and education and then shame our users when they fall for a sophisticated psychological attack. That doesn't solve the problem. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right. So uh, so moving on. I mean, that. by the way, I, I suspect in 10 years we'll be continuing to talk about that debate. So... You um, think the show is going to be around in ten years? That's not, not, maybe, not maybe not us, but um, <laughs> other people. So um, <laughs> I'm not sure I'm going to live that long, to be honest. So so moving on, next one comes from BankInfoSecurity.com. Title is "Cryptojacking Displaces Ransomware's Top Malware Threat." This one was interesting. I thought. I mean, not that the others aren't, but this definitely I thought interesting. Yeah, yeah. So um, so basically, the you know the findings. Here, I think this was from uh, uh, McAfee. Uh, was that in just by by contrast in uh, in the fourth quarter of last year, there were I think four hundred thousand uh, malware samples that were um, um, crypto miners, and in the first quarter of two thousand eighteen, so one quarter later, there were two point five million, and uh, and so so they interview a couple different. Uh, security researchers and everybody's basically pointing out that while ransomware isn't dead, it's the 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 industry or the the you know, the the criminals seem to be latching on to mining as a for whatever reason as a more profitable or or more appealing payload to deliver to uh, computers rather than ransomware. And you know, I, I can I can assume that possibly it's because, you know, ransomware, at least with any given customer or victim, I should say, is uh, is you know a one time, more or less, a one time thing. And whereas if you can get in, if you can get your your crypto miner, you know, running in an environment, it's and it's not being detected, it could run for a long time, conceivably. Yeah. It- it's it's less impactful to the victims. They may not even know it's there. Gives the the bad guys the ability to dwell much longer and directly generate revenue, right? Without having to interact. They, think of the customer service savings. They don't have to maintain call centers anymore. You know that's handy. It's going to put a lot of people out of business though who maintain those call centers. Uh, <laughs> but you know, here's the other interesting thing. It has because it's less impactful. I'm wondering if there's going to be less of an effort to stop it, less money spent on it, less technology built around it, less concern, because it's not interrupting business as much. I actually think you're you are on a, a really important point because I think I think miners are going to be treated much more like just unwanted software. 
Yeah, because it's it's sucking up CPU time. Right. It's not, but it's not stopping somebody from, you know, it's not locking you out of your files, which becomes an emergency. Right. This is a nuisance. Right. Uh, to most users. Yeah, absolutely. So you know they they point out basically this you know all of the same uh, all the same protections come into play in order to to protect yourself. But again, you know, it, I I gotta believe you know from from the perspective of a of a you know let, just think about it from the perspective of a blue team, right? Now let's just discount the whole possibility that you know, attack techniques or, or, or the payloads are going to change over time. And so we could be right back to ransomware and, or, or something even worse. Um, the economics change pretty dramatically in terms of how much your company might be willing to spend to, to defend against, a you know, a crypto mining attack. Right. Yeah. You know, it may be palatable by the way, just to say, well, you know what? Uh, our response is when somebody complains, we'll go dispatch a help desk person and they'll run malware bytes, you know, and, and clean it off. And then everybody goes about their day. And whereas I think with, uh, you know, with, with ransomware, you know, we're, we're collectively freaking out and trying to figure out what can, you know, what kinds of things can we do to hard stop, this stuff from happening and you know we got to right. worry about backups and our you know can we restore fast enough and are the are the, the backups work and on and on and on and and um you know because of the the potential damage to a company with in a ransomware attack is just intuitively much much worse than a in a crypto mining attack but from the perspective of a you know of the of the criminals you know, it may not be any less profitable. I don't know. I mean, that's that's one thing I've not actually seen is how, what what the what the econ- economics look like for the. Yeah, that is a very good question. I, I would think. Wow, that's a tough question. Uh, part of me thinks that if you can get crypto mining gear out there uh, and let it run, you've got a better steady stream of income. But that is a that is a very interesting question, because what's the success rate on a payout for ransomware versus how much can I generate per host running my crypto miner over time? I don't know. That's a good question. You know what? There's there's probably some PhD candidate papers in there. <laughs> it does it does seem like something that uh, warrants some further research. So anyhow, um, you know, I I would say. Like I mentioned before, right? This is potentially just a passing fad, and it is entirely likely that um, you know we'll, we'll be right back to ransomware or or maybe something even worse. So I, I I'm not at all a proponent for us dropping collectively dropping our uh, you know the sense of urgency around this. But right, and you know ransomware is still a huge issue. We're yeah. just seeing this start to edge it out a little bit. doesn't mean the ransomware is going away at all. Correct. Correct. Yeah. And we, you know, we've talked about quite a, f- quite a few significant organizations like the city of Atlanta here, right, right in our backyard, uh, had, mm-hmm. had a big ransomware problem earlier. So anyway, um, yeah, moving on to the last story. This was, um, this was pretty big news, I guess about a week and a half ago. Um, and th- this comes from the Gen 2 Linux distributions wiki page. So Gen 2's GitHub account was compromised for for a period of time. Um, and apparently the um, the way it happened was the, the criminals here were able to uh, effectively guess the password and it's there's a there's a really interesting comment and it's kind of um, kind of leaves you hanging and wanting more but uh, you know it the root I'll just read the root cause and I'll tell you what I what I think about that root cause the attacker gained access to a password of an organization administrator evidence collected suggests a password scheme where disclosure on one site made it easy to guess passwords for unrelated web pages sure 
So when when you you know you've got an algorithm that is based on a particular web page. Yeah, exactly. You know, his password or her, I don't know, might be ABC123 and then the name of the website. Right, GitHub or Facebook or yeah, LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. So so it, it appears that somebody, you know, the 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 criminals here recognized the email address of one of the administrators found it apparently in some other data breaches and saw that there was likely to be an algorithm there and, and got lucky. And then they, uh, th- then they locked out the other administrators for uh, Gentoo. So it was pretty obvious. And they, they I got to say, you know, it, to Gentoo's credit, they seem to be like um, amazingly transparent <laughs> about what happened here. Um, you know what? So they have a list of what went wrong, or you know what went well, what went badly, things they felt like they got lucky on, and you know they one of the things they pointed out was this could have been much much worse if the attacker had not locked out the other accounts and had just you know kind of used their um, used used the access to make changes to to files, and and by the way they did so they apparently updated a readme file to include some uh, a, a racist tirade um and then they um, because that's effective i i guess i guess i mean man my entire view of race relations has changed because i read this readme file yeah it, it, i don't know so anyway uh and then then they uh, edited a number of other program the source code for a number of other programs including systemd to mm. either either remove you know do rm dash rf slash or rm dash rf uh, dollar sign home, um, so so it was pretty so obvious. Let's, let's think about that. I mean, it was system D. So I was maybe <laughs> they were trying to save the world. I was, I had the same thought. <laughs> <laughs> you know, could you really tell the difference? I don't I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe they maybe they thought well, except for the whole racist. Thing. Maybe they thought they were. I mean, uh, I guess it's conceivable you could be a horrible, terrible racist and want to fix System D. I, I guess I guess that's true. I, we can't discount that possibility. So so anyway, yeah. Um, as far as I can tell, there weren't any other um, you know hidden na- hidden nasties in there. So you know, it's not like you. As far as I can tell, again. You would end up with uh, with malware on your system if you happen to have replicated code off of their GitHub account uh, during that that period. But you know it would have potentially nuked your your system. So it, it does bring up an interesting question of uh, how can you know clearly they must have had some pretty good forensics of knowing what was edited and where. But um, you know if you didn't, how could you ever trust your source code repository? Yeah, well, they—I think they got lucky because they had a—they had an offsite. They, that GitHub was not actually their main repository. They had a separate mm. repository, which was kind of what they—they they viewed as their authoritative repository. GitHub, they, as they said, they had—they maintained the GitHub repository because they wanted to be where the developers were at, and and so I suspect be just you know, for the purposes of, you know, free bandwidth and whatever else, right? It was, it's handy to have your code on, on GitHub. Uh, and that, so, so probably lots of people were normally pulling code off of there. I don't, I don't really know how many, but, um, but yeah, I mean, they, they got lucky, right? If, if GitHub had been their only, um, you know, their only. Well, hopefully source. they would have it had an offline backup that, you know, was recent. Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. I, and it goes back to it's good that this particular developer had unique passwords per site, but don't make them guessable by, you know, you're still better off going for a password manager that creates a completely randomized, generic password per site that has no correlation with each other or two factor. You know, it's, it's, and this is why this, you know, remember when NIST was like, don't bother changing your passwords? This is why I have trouble with that recommendation because six months later, a year later, two years later, when some 
third-party password database gets leaked, people reuse passwords all the time. Yeah. And this is how you know you look for another related leak. You find a correlation of a user, and you may have the information you need to get into a different account on a different site, even if it's not the same password. It's a you know password algorithm or whatever. Yeah, I I, I agree. You know what 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 occurred to me when I was when I was reading this one, it, there's there's been all sorts of different password guidance given over the years, and and honestly, this actually was password guidance provided. You know, come up with a pass, come up with a standard password, and then you know append something at the end of it to indicate which site it was. And and a lot of us in the security world kind of hypothesized, well, geez, you know, at some points that probably will get used against you. And as far as I know, this is the first time that that's actually happened. But to your point, I think we continue to see, I mean, almost on a daily basis, it seems like, different websites having their password databases breached. And it's just over and over and over and over again. And it, it seems very likely and that over time, this is going to become pretty easily mineable where you can see who has, um, you know, who, who has a pattern and then you can guess. Yeah. I mean, especially as we have more and more concentration of risk at, at more popular cloud providers. Yeah. I mean, think, I, I'm not saying this has happened or will happen, but think if Facebook's password database leaked, mm. you know, you'd have a third roughly potentially of the world, one instance of their password. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, I, I, I still think if two-factor isn't an option, I would like to see, and I know this is draconian and people will, will hate me for saying it, but I would love to see sites issuing you a random password that you have to then put into a database or to a password manager. So it is, you have no, you, you don't have an option. I mean, I guess... You could override it and set your own crappy password, but... Uh, you are a monster. I, I know. I know. Monster. I know. But, you know, it would be a, it would kind of nudge people into the direction of using a password so, manager. So the reality is we and a lot of sites, especially let's say it's an online site for a service that you buy, uh, let's say it's your bank. Let's say it's, a, you know, not, not your company, not your employer, but you have, you're the customer of a service. They have to have this careful balance. If they make their password requirements too difficult, they can lose business. And there is a, there's a balance of usability and user experience to safety that they're constantly trying to figure out. And so we criticize all these companies for really poor password um, policies. But I would guess 75, 80% of them are aware of it and have made the conscious choice to have a weak password policy because they fear losing business of, of too many, uh, especially technically unsophisticated users or customers not being able to handle that. Well, I mean, and, and candidly, they haven't felt enough pain to change their behavior, right? So, and I think that's, by the way, one of the problem, one of the fundamental problems is that nobody in the chain, not the individual, not any individual website, you know, has the, an opportunity to feel enough pain to really change, to drive a behavior change. Right? So this is why we got to suit the county password inspector. <laughs> well, I, the point is, it's, I, I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to change because again, the you know if you think about the the companies who've gotten breached, right? I mean, like they don't really care. They you know it's it's terrible and for them and and whatnot, right? But you know, look, they they stored the passwords in MD5 without assault or maybe even clear text that you know whatever, right? So for them, doesn't doesn't really you know password uh, password complexity is not all that important. For any other, for any other entity, any other web services provider, it's the the risk is on a particular person, you know, like on a on an on an individual's account. 
So unlike a credit card number being popped, right, which is liabilities back on the, you know, credit card issuer and whatnot. This is liabilities only to the individual. There's not a concentration of liability. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So anyway, I, I, I think the economics are not s- set up so that anybody has a strong incentive to actually fix this. That's And that's why I think we are where we're at and we'll be having this problem for, you know, a decades to come, I would imagine. So, And that's the optimistic part of the show today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I, I keep uh, I keep getting these pop-up or banner ads, you know, saying, uh, d- claiming different companies have found a way to eliminate the password. And, you know, I think I remember seeing the first that for the first time in maybe 1998. Right. And, you know, like, yeah, and Linux will be, you know, it's going to be the year of Linux on the desktop any any time now, too. <laughs> so keep hoping. Um <laughs> Anyway, that's my cynical bastard moment for the day. Anyhow, uh, that is all of the stories we had for this show. So thank you very much for listening. Indeed. Thank you. Hope everybody has a good week. Uh, Coming up, we should both be at DerbyCon. Yes. I think is our next con we're going to. DEF CON is about to kick off and all the related cons around it. We won't be there, but for those going out to the desert, good luck. Stay hydrated. Be safe. Take a shower every day. Get at least three hours of sleep every day. Keep your hands to yourself. (laughs) And drink lots of water. Trust me. Yep. Be be kind. There you go. Um, What's radical? I know. I know. know. (laughs) Uh, Any other shout outs you want to make or... Um, not right now. Those two people still listening to the end of the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you very much, and we'll talk again soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.